Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop, and I'm glad that you have tuned in because our time together on these podcasts is meant to equip you and inspire you to help you learn and grow and gain new ideas and insights that compel you to action, that compel you to live life courageously and confidently, and to live a life that is unhindered and unleashed, to play full out and live fully into who you were created to be. And on our show today, I have invited my friend, Dr. Deb Gordon. Sounds so official. And it is because she's awesome. We're going to talk about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And Deb, that kind of sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think of it like yoga pants. Yoga pants, (laughs) you put them on, they're comfortable, right? But then they're designed to go have you do yoga, which if you've ever done is like one of the most incredibly uncomfortable things ever. I mean, some of those positions are like pretzel bending. I would attest to that. I've done my own fair share and fallen over several times. Uh But we're going to talk about that today. And I think one of the keys to living a life unleashed is taking risks and being willing to forego comfort at times, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's necessary for growth. Yeah, we have to be uncomfortable at times so we can grow. And I guess they don't call them growing pains for nothing. Well, a little bit about my friend, Deb, Dr. Deb Gordon. She grew up in Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona, and graduated from Arizona State University with a BA in journalism. She earned both her MA in psychology and her PhD in clinical psychology from Fuller Graduate School of Psychology in Pasadena, California. Additionally, she holds an MA in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. And Deb presently serves as the director of Moody Theological Seminary's Master's in Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program, as well as Moody's Counseling Center. She's also the founder of Civ Consultation. She provides counseling and leadership coaching for individuals. And Deb is a self-proclaimed, and also others would affirm this a thousand times over. She's a phenomenal problem solver and collaborator, and she also believes that transformation happens within community, which I couldn't agree with more. And part of the kind of the hope and the, the desire for this podcast, it is it does kind of form a community where we know we're not alone in some of life's journeys. So as we talk about this topic today, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, why would you say, Deb, that that is something that's important? Yeah. Uh, I mean, going back to this idea of growth. So certainly the work that I do is very much about growth, whether it's with the students that I teach or the clients that I see. And usually I find that the expectation is whether I'm a student and I'm drawn to the field of counseling because I love helping people, I like making people feel better about themselves, I like solving problems, um, or clients coming to see me thinking, you're going to do all those things, you're going to make me feel better, you're going to help me to solve these problems. What hinders them is this unconscious expectation that I'm going to feel confident and comfortable in the process. Hmm. And yet those feelings are oftentimes what we experience when life is just kind of status quo per se, um, that we don't 
you know, we don't have a lot of change happening. We don't have unexpected things thrown our way. We don't have conflict or difficulty making decisions. And yet in those moments, I mean, nobody that I've ever asked, hey, when was your most defining growth moment turned around and said, well, I was just chilling on my couch watching <laughs> Netflix, you know, enjoying a typical Thursday night and boom, I exceeded my expectations in growth. No, it always happens in these very uncomfortable, sometimes unexpected situations. Yeah. And I I'm just thinking about sometimes we can be okay with uncomfortability if we choose it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Right. We were talking a little bit earlier about uh, working out, which I've fallen off that wagon for quite some time, but you were talking about Orange Theory and how you've been going there a handful of times a week. Now you've chosen that you've chosen that discomfort. I have, yeah. And and let's be honest, a handful of times, maybe once. I usually make it <laughs> once, and I consider that, or I actually have to force myself to consider that a success because I'm competitive. But yeah, it's awful. I mean, it's literally awful. It's yeah. an hour of the worst workout I could imagine. (laughs) But I know if I want to stay healthy Hmm. and our physical health absolutely impacts our mental health and our emotional health. If I'm going to tell other people that, I better hold myself accountable to the same thing. So it's choosing to be uncomfortable um, and to shed the comfortability of going home and putting on my pajamas Hmm. and, you know, reading a book or watching a Netflix show because I know in the long run, it's more important for my own well-being. Yeah. So being uncomfortable clearly costs us something. There's like pain involved. There's uncertainty involved. But what do you think the cost of staying comfortable is? Yeah. I mean, plain and simple, it's stagnation. Hmm. And, And I think that really is what, when I look at, let's just say my clients, when I look at them, that's where those feelings of really deep-seated depression, anxiety, um, you know, some of the other emotions that we don't like to feel, that's really where that comes from. And again, I could say, well, even those emotions, sometimes we have to feel they're uncomfortable, but they give us, you know, a message about what's happening in our lives. But when it's the stagnation phase, those emotions become their identity. So mm. instead of saying, I feel depressed, they start, you know, either subconsciously or even maybe on the surface level saying, like, I'm that depressed person. That's my identity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is so damaging to so many areas of their life. Yeah. What do you what do you think keeps us and uh, everyone's probably heard the term comfort zone. What do you think keeps us in our comfort zone? Fear. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, when I look at a lot of things, I think we can, we can trace so much back to fear, you know, fear of, and we're not talking like, oh, I'm afraid that, um, I might get it wrong, or I'm afraid that somebody might think poorly of me. We're talking about like, I'm afraid that I am a complete and utter failure, Hmm. or I'm afraid that I don't belong, or I'm afraid that I should have never been created in the first place Hmm. or allowed to exist on this earth. Like I was a mistake. And so I think that's oftentimes what keeps keeps people in really, if we're being totally honest, it's like a false comfort. Hmm. So when you hear the word discomfort, like what, what are some things that come to mind for you? Okay. So I've got this whole theory, right? So you said something earlier about... Um, Doctors usually have theories, <laughs> right? so I am not surprised. <laughs> my research data, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, it's called radical acceptance. So you said earlier something that I think is really important, which is a lot of times discomfort comes from situations that we didn't choose to be involved hmm. in. 
And so this is how I describe radical acceptance. So we're in Chicago, right? And um, downtown, they're doing this whole beautification project around the Chicago River, which I don't know if you've been down there. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. You get yeah. ice cream. You can do paddle boats. Yeah. There's concerts now. It's awesome. If you live in Chicago and you're here in the summer, check it out. But it doesn't really change the fact that the Chicago River is pretty disgusting. It's so bad. It's gross. <laughs> it's so gross. So this is how I would describe radical acceptance. Let's say that you are enjoying a beautiful night on the river walk in the summer. It's, a, it's, it's cool. There's people out. You're having a great time. And there's this rowdy group of teenagers, let's mm-hmm. say, somebody whose parents weren't paying attention and let their kids out too late at night. And they're, you know, kind of self-absorbed, doing their thing, um, not paying attention to their surroundings. And one of them bumps into you and to the point where it knocks you off your balance and you trip and fall into the Chicago Oh, River. that wouldn't make me very happy. No, <laughs> at all. And so you could have a whole host of choices to respond to that. Mm-hmm. One would be, just like you said, I'm I'm ticked off, right? Like what kind of inconsiderate jerk would not be paying attention and do something like this to me? Like how could their parents have allowed them to be out and to allow them to demonstrate this type of behavior? And you're so fixated on the anger Hmm. of the injustice done to you that you don't realize I'm in the river and the only way to get out is to swim to the edge if you can swim Hmm. and climb out and you drown. Hmm. So that's one response. Another response could be absolute fear and terror, right? Either I don't know how to swim very well or, God forbid, I'm going to catch some horrific disease or (laughs) what just touched my leg. I hope it wasn't a dead body. And you get totally hyper-focused on the fear and the same thing happens. You don't recognize I'm in the river. The only way to get out is to swim to the edge and climb out. Hmm. And so radical acceptance says... I don't want to be here. Hmm. I didn't choose to be here. I feel angry. I feel terrified. And yet the only way for me to move on from these circumstances is to radically accept I'm here, choose to swim, and get out. Hmm. That is so good. What would be, not to say that's not a practical example, because the probability of falling into the river is probably even higher now that there's such a high traffic area <laughs> over there. But what, even in maybe in some of your counseling situations, what, what are typically the areas where we find ourselves in that scenario that you just described where radical acceptance could really be the thing that helps us to move forward. Yeah. You know, I I see a lot around relationships. So perhaps um, somebody in a relationship, we're talking boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, I mean, even best friends or family members, siblings, parents, um, where in, in my clients, somebody in their life has made a choice, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a family member that's acting out or, you know, somebody who's simply being themselves and it's hard to live with. And, um, and they're stuck with the consequences of that choice without mm. having really any ability to, to engage or to change the situation. And yet they're going, well, I don't want to, let's just use a breakup, for example. Yeah. I didn't want to break up with this person. I didn't want to be on my own. And I don't have any other relationships that are deep in the city. And so those are the circumstances in front of me. I've been broken up with. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm new to the city or I just, you know, never took the time or didn't have the opportunities or people haven't sought me out to be in relationship. So I'm lonely. And... The response might be just to, you know, try to avoid even dealing with the circumstances. Mm. Like, I'm going to sweep this under the rug and just pretend it really didn't happen. Or sometimes the unhealthy behaviors I see, and I'm not at all blaming. Yeah. Sometimes just what they know to do, what what we know to do. It's I mean, life. I can't right. yeah, remove myself from it, is they 
pine after that person. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I'm not going to be alone. I want to get married. You're it. I have no other prospects in my life. So even though the circumstances aren't ideal, I'm going to make it work. Hmm. So it's not radically accepting the situation, which is painful. I mean, that's the hardest part. It's the emotions oftentimes that prevent us from being willing to say, okay, this is where I'm at right now. Right. So then how do radical acceptance and comfort or discomfort, how how do they kind of relate to one another? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And and a thing to clarify, I think, is that radical acceptance isn't resignation. Hmm. All right. Um, how about I get a little personal and share? Yeah, that'd be me. awesome. All We'd right. love that. So um, I'm pretty open about sharing with people that my mom passed away mm-hmm. and she took her own life. Mm. So that was a really difficult thing for me to have to navigate and certainly something I didn't choose. Yeah. Um, and for the first probably six months, even longer after her death, I certainly lived in a place of not wanting to deal with all of the implications of that. And the result was I isolated myself in relationships. I poured myself into my work and I was generally pretty unhealthy emotionally. Hmm. Um, And God was sovereign in that time for me and just protecting me. But, um, you know, it just, it it was just a really difficult time. I felt incredibly lonely. Um, I definitely experienced bouts of depression. I questioned what I was doing with my life. And it finally took me coming to a place of saying, look, this isn't a choice that I had any opportunity to speak into. Right. Um, I hate that I still, to this day, have to share when people ask mm. that those were the circumstances surrounding her death. Um, but it's my truth, hmm. you know? And so in order for me to radically accept that and to deal with the discomfort, I had to say, this is what happened, which is really uncomfortable to, to say. Right. Um, and to even wrestle with some of the implications of what I thought about myself. You know, could I have done something differently? Or the fact that I'm angry, you mm. know, angry at her, sometimes angry at God. Those are really uncomfortable things to feel. And yet, um, if I if I try to avoid feeling them, they're still there. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I can tell somebody in my office not to feel an emotion. Well, that's, yeah, right. Emotions are automatic. Right, good luck with that yeah. one, right? So the radical acceptance piece is just embracing what's happening in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So at that time, for me, it was embracing the reality that, my mom was dealing with mental illness, that the only choice that she saw in her mind in that one moment was to take her life. Hmm. And I will always have to deal with the consequences of that. Right. And some days they don't affect me at all. And other days they affect me tremendously. But the reality is they affect me if I pretend they don't mm-hmm. or if I acknowledge that they do. Right. When I acknowledge that they do, then I know how to swim out of the river. Mm-hmm. And the acknowledging that they do part is the part of engaging with being uncomfortable because you have to address something. You have to address something. And the thing that sometimes we don't realize is that there is a higher cost to being comfortable. Yeah. You said this early on that, you know, we seek, we seek comfortability. I think we seek in life comfortability and we seek convenience, but you said this earlier too, that those two things can lead to complacency, which can then lead to depression because there's, there's no, there's no mobility in my life. Like things are status quo and we weren't created to be status quo. Yeah. So we have to get out of that comfort zone. And I I can't remember who said this, but someone said um, life begins outside of your comfort zone. So it's leaning into those things that are not comfortable. And I like something else you said too, that sparked a thought in me is that 
when we lean into the uncomfortable, it breeds vulnerability mm, yeah. and it breeds transparency, which can be uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. Right? It's yeah. kind of like, I think as human beings, our greatest desire is that we want to be known and to be really known means we have to be vulnerable and we have to be transparent. But our greatest fear is our greatest desire. My greatest fear is vulnerability and transparency, because once I'm really known, will you stick around? Will you still love me, et cetera? So there's, there's an uncomfortable tension even within that. Yeah, absolutely. And when we go back to the fear piece, because you're right, right? Everything always leads back to fear. Yeah. And sometimes we have to climb the wall of our fear to really see what's on the other side. You know, for me, confronting the fears of is there something I could have done to keep my mom here? Or, you know, the fear of if I allow myself to really process this emotion, I won't be able to dig myself out of the hole it creates in the ground that I climb into. I had to go to the other side of that. You know, yeah. fear rarely, rarely, rarely is ever going to kill us. Yeah. You know, we are going to survive fear, but we build this wall and we assume that whatever's on the other side is not survivable. Mm. And to me, a lot of that goes back to identity. Yeah. You know, I asked my students the other day, I said, I want you to picture the client that scares you the most, the client that's going to sit across from you and you're just terrified. <laughs> oh, no. How to respond or how to help or, you know, maybe there's a huge value conflict. And then I want you to really think about what's the fear based on. And do you know, like 97% of them said failing. Yeah. Rejection, failing, looking bad, not measuring up, the list goes on. Yeah. And yet, not to be doomsday, but I bet we can all pick a time in our lives when we did fail at something. Right. We were rejected. And yet, we're still here. And for me, that goes back to where does our identity lie? Mm -hmm. You know, if we place our identity and our self-worth in things that are constantly shifting, I mean, every relationship shifts. I could have a horrible commute and go home and be terrible to the person I live with hmm. simply because a driver cut me off on the freeway. Right. And it has nothing to do with my character. It was just I had a bad day. But if my attitude then causes that person to feel bad about themselves because they've placed their self-worth and their identity in me, well... I'm a horrible, I mean, I'm a horrible person to place your identity in because I guarantee you I'm going to fail, fail. And disappoint, you. right? Yeah. And, and, and Deb and I are both followers of Jesus. And some of you listening to this may not be, um, but as followers of Christ, we're meant to put our identity in him because yeah. he is unchanging yeah. while everything else around us changes and is fickle. People are fickle. Situations change all the time. And so, you know, one of the things you said, uh, something about failure, and I wanted to share a, a quote from John Ortberg, who I just love him. He's oh, so funny. Have you read anything by him? Oh, yeah, I love him. I disciplines. Is it, did he write that he wrote a very practical book, book on the spiritual disciplines and it's great. Did he? And I yeah. love, um, and I've read this a couple times, which Listeners, you might want to read this. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's too. a good one. And then he wrote, um, oh, the... It's not all oh, the places you will go, but it's kind of pl a That's play, a play on the, it is, but it is a play on the Dr. Seuss book. So okay. Google something like that, but it was really, really good. But one of the things that he says in his book, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat is this. He says, 
Failure is an indispensable, irreplaceable part of learning and growth. Failure does not shape you the way you respond to failure shapes you. Mm. What do you think about that? Oh, I love it. You know, it makes me think of, uh, since you brought up that we're Christ followers, the scripture that talks about perfect love casting out all fear. Mm. And if we then read further, the fear that's described is punishment. Mm. And I think we see failure as like, I, I deserve or I am going to be punished. And yet... If in community we're loving one another, you know, we don't have to fear punishment. Hmm. And so when we face failure, I see it as that picture. I mean, you got to get out of the boat. Talks about Peter, right? Right. When Peter started to fail, quote unquote. Right. So Peter's, yeah, Peter's walking on water. Tell us the story a little bit for those who don't know. So Jesus calls him to get out of the boat, walk on water by faith. And he starts doing it. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, crap. I'm like walking. Well, because the winds are coming, right? And yeah, yeah. And so he starts to sink, and it's not like Jesus is like, well, too bad, buddy. Peace out. Peace out, right? <laughs> like, hope you can swim. No, he reaches out his hand and mm. pulls him up. Yeah. So he didn't say, and he doesn't go, you know, like, what the heck, Peter? What's wrong with you? Why didn't mm. you trust me more? You know, out of this kind of shaming punishment, he's like, I've got you. Mm. And he may challenge him to think about, if you were to do this again, how could you trust in me? wholeheartedly, but he doesn't punish or shame or reject Peter. Right, right. I, lo- I love that image that that Jesus was just the first thing, like you said, is not to shame or rebuke or say, you know, why didn't you do it better? He's like, like you said, I got you. I'm yeah. reaching out my hand. Let me ask you this. One question that's coming to mind is how do we know, or even as people are listening to this podcast, what are indications, what are indicators that I'm living my life in the comfort zone. Mm, Are there any indications that come to mind for you of maybe to to help trigger listeners right now? Like, hmm, how do do I know that I'm really living to be comfortable rather than like living and playing full out? Yeah. You know, it's, it's such the oxymoron that you said earlier, like being, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I mean, the funny thing is, is I think our comfort actually is oftentimes also uncomfortable because it's those questions that we have of, um, you know, what am I doing with my life? I get that one a lot. What am I doing with my life? Mm. Am I living out my purpose? Am I living out my calling? Um, You know, I just don't feel like this relationship is really the relationship that I need to be in or it's, or healthy, or I feel something's off in this relationship or, you know, works fine. It's, it's a routine. I know what to expect. I have colleagues I feel comfortable with, but there's this nagging thought Mm. in the back of my mind that I want to be doing something different. And so it's those little kind of questions, those little whispering voices in our head that we oftentimes try to shush and sweep under the rug because the thought of actually acting upon them here we go back to that fear word mm-hmm. again. It's terrifying. Right, right. And I just I have this image of those thoughts are like little gnats, like you just want to s- swipe them away. And yeah. I, I, I've been there too in, in times of, you know, sometimes choosing to be comfortable because I'm more committed to comfort than I am to something else. Yeah. I mean, it's finding out what we're what we're more committed to. What what would you say? And you, I love earlier you got personal. And just thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that story yeah. with us. Because I know while it's been years, it's still a, a pain point. Yeah. You know, it's still a, 
uh, pain point in your life. What would you say uncomfortable looks like for you or has looked like for you? Or maybe what does uncomfortability look like for you now? Yeah. It's funny that you asked that because I literally had a conversation with somebody the other day and they pointed this out to me. And I tell my students, never try to be your own therapist because Hmm. we don't have perspective. That's what makes me a good therapist. I'm giving away my secrets. The PhD. (laughs) Great. I just saved (laughs) $100,000. Don't do it. No. Um, But honestly, like I can help my clients so much more than they can help themselves with these problems because I have perspective. I'm not sitting in their emotional circumstances, which cloud our judgment. So I was meeting with this friend and we were talking about um, some of the things happening in my life. And one of the things that I've really been wanting to do is write and speak a little bit more, um, which is also important for my job. Hmm. And yet my default is to go to administration. Hmm. And, um, And I was like, you know, because I like that too. And that's usually my excuse. Like, I'm good at that. I like that. It is part of my job. And she point blank without even hesitation said, because you're comfortable with that. Yeah. And the other thing is uncomfortable. And I'm like, dang, girl, this is like everything I'm telling other people mm. to do. And I'm doing it in my own life. And um, and so I think actually going back to your question right before this, that's another way for us to recognize where are we settling in the comfort is, you know, kind of just going back to the routine things that we may enjoy doing, but aren't really fulfilling our purpose here. You know, I can do administration all day. And and what I love about it is being able to check something off of a list. But the reality is, you know, I really believe in the program that I run training clinical mental health counselors. But if I'm not out there kind of you know, bringing attention to the program, then I'm not drawing in the people that ultimately we want to serve and teach and train up to be servant leaders. And that's Mm. what God's called me to do. And yet I get up and the first thing I do after, hopefully, I don't always do this, (laughs) is just jump into administration. Mm. It's comfortable. It's easy. And I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to fear rejection in that because you know, it's kind of second nature. So what is at stake for you if you stay in the administrative wheelhouse and do not step more out into that speaking, into that, that writing arena? What, what's, what's at stake? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, that's a great question because, and I think a lot more people face this, not necessarily any type of punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's funny is, is if I stay in this kind of safe zone, there aren't massive consequences mm-hmm. externally. I'm not at risk for losing my job. I'm not at risk for, you know, having somebody come and chastise me. It's internal. Yes. It's this, it's this um, intimate knowledge within myself that I'm actually ignoring hmm. something that I know. I mean, we're not talking about speculation. Like, I know that I'm being called to do this. So in essence, it's kind of willful disobedience. And yeah. That makes me incredibly uncomfortable. uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, is the uncomfort greater than the comfort to help catapult us? But I can totally relate that to that too. And I'm thinking, let's turn this into a mini, mini counseling session, but it's going to cost you more. I know, (laughs) I know I'll buy you lunch. Um, but I find the same thing. It's, it's, it's having this desire, having this dream, but also for me, it's also questioning it. Like, "Mm, is God really telling me to do that? Am I really supposed to be doing that? I'm, you know, moderately successful or people look in right now and say you're successful, but I love that you pointed your finger on that. It's, it's even, it's not even what other people are saying or thinking. Yeah. It's like internally in me, do I know that God has created me, that 
Deb knows that God has created you to do more, not for status, not for fame, but for his glory, because mm. we've been given a certain amount of skills and talents and God wants us to invest them well. And and I find myself the, the restlessness and even a little bit of the depression. And I don't want to undermine depression because I know people face depression on a very clinical level. And it's a very, very true experience for people. I experience my own level of depression when I just know there's more in me and I'm holding back. And, you know, that is super uncomfortable. But I'll say sometimes for myself, I don't quite know how to get out of that. So because this podcast is really meant to not just be information, but lead to transformation and action is required to make that happen. Are there any action steps that you would recommend for people to start taking steps out of their comfortability and leaning into the discomfort? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very practically, I I work in threes, right? So um, I would say, first of all, sit down. Um, If you're, if you have a faith background, spend some time in prayer, specifically if you're a Christian, and and ask for wisdom from mm-hmm. God. Um, but but just reflect. What are the three things that if I were sitting here a year from now, I would be disappointed if I hadn't done? Yeah. And then tell three people those things and ask for feedback. Three, sorry, right? three, three, three. Three things that you would be disappointed not having done. Three people to give you three just very not. Not um, evaluation. So not to say, oh, that's a great idea or mm, I don't know about that, but to actually say, here are three practical pieces of wisdom that I could offer you to move you in that direction mm. and then ask them to hold you accountable. Mm. Um, and, and then really at that point, it's just taking the step. I think about Peter and what you just said. And, you know, I don't think Christ would have said, you can't be my disciple anymore if he didn't get out of the boat. Yeah. And yet I think for sure he would have always questioned and wondered what would have happened if I had stepped out of the boat if he didn't make that choice? Mm. And he even, in essence, failed, right? He, he did sink, right. but he still had that experience. And hello, it made it into the Bible. So <laughs> clearly it's influenced billions of people at this point, which, right. you know, I'm sure in that moment, he never would have thought that. Yeah. And I, and I love that. And something for the listeners to reflect on is what is something that's just been kind of nagging at you, gnawing at you, that idea, that thought that just won't lie. <laughs> it just keeps coming up. It won't, it just keeps coming to the surface and, and taking a next step and in investigating that or your threes or, you know, telling three people about it, which I think is so funny because what we said in the beginning of this and in introducing Deb is that one of the things that she's known for and one of the things that she believes is transformation happening within community. So you just tied that in well, that we can't, we, we can't fully live into who we were created to be and playful out without community. Absolutely. You have to have that. Yeah. We have to call other people into that experience. The other thing too, there's this um, friend of mine, this guy, and he's an executive coach. And to be honest, he kind of scares the crap out of me because he's so, he's just so powerful. And, you know, when he says something, it just really kind of sparks something for you. And, you know, I've been thinking lately, gosh, I'd really like to call him up to help have him kind of call me up and call me out, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of that. You know, we, but we have to be willing to have people call things out in us so they can call us up to who we were created to be and all of that stuff that we don't want to be dormant in us. But I also love to kind of going back to what you said earlier that, you know, you guys, if you keep doing what you're doing now, you know what? 
that's okay. You can actually choose that. Yeah, you can. Like making making that choice. Like if you have this dream or you have this thought or this idea that's been percolating or coming to the surface, and if you decide not to act on it, you will not be loved any less. Like, Absolutely. Like your creator will not be like mm, disappointed in you. Yeah. You, I think that's one thing that just to really hammer home is like you you can actually stay comfortable. Like if you choose that, you get to choose that. I also love thinking about what's possible if you made another choice to say, I'm going to risk uncomfortability and I'm going to see what's possible. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's seasonal, right? So if we look at scripture, we are always giving these metaphors of harvest. And I don't know if you're familiar with harvest. I'm a little bit. My grandfather was a wheat farmer and there was a season for everything, including giving the ground the chance to rest so Hmm. that it would be prepared for the next season of cultivation and planting and growth. And if that didn't happen, ultimately you wear out the soil and it's good for nothing. Wow. So that's good. I also think you're right. We need those seasons of comfort, but we don't want comfort all the time. Right. And who were some friends in our lives, trusted friends who we know to the best of their intention, they're, they're for us. They're not against us that can walk along with us and maybe sometimes say the very loving, but the very hard things of like, Hey, Deb, Hey, Lisa, you said you wanted this. And yet I see it kind of settling a little bit so yeah. that they're willing to encourage you and spur you on, which is very biblical too, that we encourage one another and we, we spur one another on as well. Yeah. Absolutely. But it requires risk, uncomfortability, all those things that to your point earlier, we make so big and scary. But one thing I've always said is, man, I do not want to get to the end of my life and be like, oh, I didn't leave it all on the field. Like I want to leave it all on the field. I want to make my best contribution to other people. And to be able to do that, we really have to take a look at Am I willing to risk being uncomfortable? Am I willing to risk failing? Which again, failing is not your identity. Like if I fail at something, it doesn't mean I'm bad or I, it just means something didn't work out. And now I get to test and try something different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you may have failed at something, Mm -hmm. but your identity isn't being a failure. So we are just about out of time here, but would you give us your threes again? Let's end with your threes. Yeah, I love it. All right. So three things, like you said, is just this little voice inside you is saying, if I didn't do something to act on these three things a year from now, I would be so disappointed. Mm -hmm. So three things that you feel like God is calling you or you're being called to change, um, three people that you trust to speak truth into your life and to ask them for three concrete points of wisdom and how to make progress in moving towards those three goals. Love it. Love it. Well, Deb, always a pleasure to be in your space. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for the ways that you've called me up and out of my comfort zone too. You've really asked some questions. You've asked how you could be praying for me and you're just a true and trusted friend. So I just really value you and appreciate you and all that you're doing and all that God's doing in and through you as well. Thanks. Well, you guys, great to be with you uh, once again. Thanks for listening. And Hand this podcast over to a friend who is someone who you think might be playing it safe and you just want to give them a little encouragement to play a little bit more full out and have whatever dream or ambition is in them come more to fruition. You are loved and we will see you next time. 